Hey, welcome to another episode of Filmstreak. My name is Rob, and every episode here on Filmstreak, what I like to do is talk about some new movies that I've watched. And you know the drill by now. It's not just new releases. It's sometimes old movies, sometimes independent movies, sometimes foreign movies, just stuff I haven't seen personally. And so here's a chance for me to work on that. Get that watch list. Get it down. Get those numbers down. And just be able to kind of hash that out, talk about it a little bit, maybe recommend some stuff to watch for you or just uh, give you some advice on where you might want to steer clear, you know? So if you're checking this out, thanks for listening. Thanks for kind of hanging out. And uh, you can go to filmstrict.com, see other episodes. You can subscribe. You can even get uh, new episodes uh, sent to you directly by email. So make it easy for you. Um, Otherwise... Let's get into this wave of uh, uh, of new movies. Here we go. Film Streak 195, Megan. I designed Megan to protect Katie from feeling lonely. She will recognize you as her primary user. And when you do that, you're going to pair with her. Crazy. It's insane, right? Oh, don't I look nice, biting my eyes, isn't it pure perfection? Megan. Your goal is to protect Katie from harm, both physical and emotional. One, two, three, four. I declare some more. I won't let anything harm you. I love her. Megan's not a person, Katie. You don't get to say that. Things so you can play with me. Megan. What are you doing? Couldn't sleep. Occupational hazard. <laughs> Got your full attention. That? You should probably run. I won't let anything harm you ever again. Megan. Have I done something to upset you, Gemma? I know you think you're maximizing your objective function. <laughs> oh, really? And everything nice, no, that's no what made <laughs> Megan? Baby doll skill. Don't provoke us or we will. Oh. We'd have to shut her down. Jesus Christ, I thought we were friends. I have a new primary user now. Me. Did Megan do something bad? What's going on? What are you? I'm Megan. <laughs> Baby, don't provoke us or we will. <laughs> All right, so this is a very new release, um, or at least at the time that I'm recording this. And this is directed by Gerard Johnstone, stars Allison Williams as the, our, kind of our protagonist, really. Um, we have the, the young girl in the film, Violet McGraw, who plays Katie, and Megan, the doll, the, the android, whatever, uh, is played by Amy Donald. So let me kind of just cut right to it here. I didn't like this movie. 
And for a, a, a few different reasons, but the main thing of the, the trope of the evil doll that is created with good intentions, but ends up ruining everybody's lives. I just feel like that's either been done better or it's just tired. You know, it's like, I don't really know why we needed this movie. Now, I, I, I do understand some of the things that it's trying to say, some of the things it's trying to comment on. Uh, and, and that's important. I, I feel like that's relevant, especially when it comes to children and technology and the um, dependence on technology and the even the allure for adults and parents to to go with that, to substitute their own presence for an iPad or a phone or, or whatever. I see it way too much in the real world. And I'm sure that was a big part of the thinking with this story is let's see what happens if that line of thinking plays out to the extreme. It's like, we don't just give our kids iPads to keep them busy and keep them occupied. We give them an entire whole fake child to be their friend, to be their, their parent. I get that part of it. And I think that that's actually a really, uh, it's a smart point. It's a smart way to come at the story. I just think a part of the problem with this film is that it's not quite sure what it wants to be. You know, it does start in a way that feels very science fiction-y, but it's also like near future or, or even present day. But somehow there's this technology that is allowing this type of machine to be created. Right. So let me just say, though, the, 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 the thing with the film is that it strikes this balance, or at least it's trying to, of being science fiction, but also leaning into like elements of horror and a thriller. And yet and, and even there's some really kind of dark comedy in here. I, I see that. But I, I feel like it just doesn't really commit to any of those. And so, you know, the idea of starting out as almost a parody of, you know, modern toys and how technology is, is kind of infiltrating that world of toys and toys aren't just dumb toys anymore. They're smart and they have apps that go with them and they talk to your kids and all this kind of stuff. I know that stuff exists and maybe not to the same degree that we see in the movie here. But those things are out there. And the temptation to let your child just run off and be with that versus actual other humans or parents or friends, uh, that's a real thing. That's a real thing that parents do struggle with. So, okay, good. I like that we're coming at it from this angle. But when we start to lean into, oh, this thing has kind of run amok and is causing problems and then causing people to die. I'm like, well, okay, we're going into a new territory now. And we've seen that before, especially, I mean, the, the big one that really kind of is the landmark here is child's play. Probably. I mean, it's like the direct, uh, predecessor to this film. I don't know. It has some interesting points that it's trying to make and some interesting ways that it's trying to say it, but I just feel like it pulls punches where it really should lean into it or just stay out of that territory. 
just don't go down the road of, oh, this thing is now a killer robot. And I just think that's where it was, it was more of a missed opportunity. Now, when it comes to the actual plot itself and the characters, how they're developed, I, there's a lot of bigger problems there to me. Some of the characters here are cartoons. Some of them are super thin. Like they don't really serve any big purpose other than to set things in motion. Even look, even Allison Williams, who I think is a great actor, but her character here, Gemma, is is the protagonist of the story, really. And I don't know, some of the reasoning behind her decisions doesn't really make sense. This is a character who loses in the first, what, I don't know, 10 minutes of the movie, loses her sister, her brother-in-law. And for almost the entire length of this movie, doesn't really seem to express any uh, emotion or remorse or mourning over the loss of her sister. She is somewhat concerned about what's happening to her niece in this whole situation when it comes to Megan and how they interact and whether this is helping her. And there is an adjustment there. So there's a little bit of an arc. But the fact that she really doesn't even recognize that her sister, her sibling, who she theoretically grew up with, spent and has known all of her life, is gone like that really doesn't even enter the picture, I feel like. And so I just think that's a really strange way to play that character. It's like that whole note got missed. Because that, you know, if we try to ground this thing in some kind of reality, that is what would basically inform everything in this story. And it's almost just glossed over. It's like, well, it happened. Okay, we're moving on. Now I got to deal with this kid. And I, you kind of lose me there. Um, because anybody who's gone through life, anybody who's lost somebody, you recognize that that is a life-changing event. I don't know. I, I didn't, that didn't really work for me. Now, I guess you could argue that the whole point of this story of Megan and the introduction of Megan and the consequences of Megan being a part of this family or just being just existing. Uh, you could argue that that is the life changing effect of losing someone. But the fact that the two are never connected, I, I, I think I just think there's some missed opportunities here. And so I can't really recommend the movie. I mean, it's made its rounds as memes, and and once you kind of see like the 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 moment when Megan starts dancing, and you know she's about to kill somebody, we've seen it a hundred times at this point. The moment that happens on screen, you're like, okay, well, this is kind of what I came for, right? Well, is it? I mean, is that really why you go to the movie? It should be about more than that, I think. It'd be one thing if that was there, but there was also a lot more substance to it. Here, I just feel like it's pretty empty. The, the acting isn't great. The writing is is kind of, it's got some interesting concepts in it, but it's overall, like especially like a dialogue, it's pretty lazy. Um, I, I just think that there was a lot more that could have been done with this film. 
And it's a shame. I mean, the, 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 I guess the thing is that it was a success. So maybe it says there's room for this kind of a story. You know, people do want to see this kind of a, uh, this kind of a theme in film. But I, I, I hope, I guess, if they ever make a sequel or they make a, some kind of other film like this, let's pack a little more thought into this and let's, let's make it more meaningful and smarter than what we got with Megan. So here we go. We're going to keep moving, okay? We're going to move on. We're going to actually go back a little bit. Film Streak 196, Lars and the Real Girl. Where's your girlfriend? I don't have one. Are you gay? No. Give this to somebody nice. Mr. Sunshine. That new girl's kind of cute, huh? Something's going on with him. I'm worried. Maybe he wants to be left alone. That's not what he wants. I have a visitor. Where did you meet this person? I met her on the internet. Yeah, well, everybody's doing that now. You know, Bianca's um, a missionary. <clears throat> My little brother is crazy, right? I mean, he's crazy. If I may, he appears to have a delusion. What the hell is he doing with a delusion? Fantastic. When will it be over? When he doesn't need it anymore. We gotta fix him. Can you fix him? Bianca's in town for a reason. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. How can we help? Go along with it. This must be Bianca. Well, welcome. It can be a communication. It can be a way to work something out. Chances are he's been decompensating for some time. We don't want anything to do with her. What's the big deal? She's a missionary. That's good, isn't it? Hey, what are you doing on Friday? I was just thinking that maybe we could all go out. Does she have a sister? We shot a woman that couldn't talk. <laughs> they don't care. Lars, we do care. No, we don't. That is just not true. Every person in this town bends over backwards to make Bianca feel at home. We do it for you. How'd you know? And I know what? That you were a man. You grow up when you decide to do right. And not what's right for you, what's right for everybody, even when it hurts. You're not gonna go to work today, Gus? I don't feel good. Well, Bianca could help you, you know, she has nurses training. Okay, so here we go. This is a film from 2007. It's directed by Craig Gillespie. And uh, stars Ryan Gosling, uh, Emily Mortimer, uh, Paul Schneider, who I I only really recognize or know from Parks and Rec. Um, but let me get to the premise, because this is a premise that, uh, you know, this is a film that's already now, uh, what, 15 years old or so. And it doesn't really go into the world of technology, but it does go into the themes of how people sometimes emotionally invest in whether it's inanimate objects or human like objects, you know, they, they and what is the word anthropomorphize inanimate objects 
and take them on as part of their life, as part of their surroundings, as another person. And, uh, you know, the premise here is we're introduced to Lars uh, as a young man who seems very shy, very introverted, uh, a little a little skittish, a little awkward. And um, we're not really sure what to make of that. He just seems uh, just quirky, you know, just a little bit off in some ways. Now, he, we see he lives in a garage apartment and we realize that the home that the garage apartment is attached to is the home of his brother and his sister-in-law. And so they are, you know, basically letting him live there. And as the movie goes on, the story goes on, we start to realize why, why this arrangement is the way it is. And the sister-in-law played by Emily Mortimer, she's very, um, at first, it's a little unclear why she's so interested in what's going on with Lars. And she's trying to connect with him, trying to talk to him, trying to just get a little bit back from him. And it seems, for a moment, it seems a little bit annoying, a little bit unnecessary. But we we slowly, we start to see that it's because... There are issues underneath the surface with Lars and it has to do with their parents and their family and some things between the two brothers, between Lars and his brother, Gus. And, uh, Karen is maybe just a, a kind soul that wants these things to be resolved or to at least be addressed. And so she's trying to kind of drive this thing forward, trying to make sure this relationship is okay in her own way. And so she's a little bit, um, she's a little bit intrusive into his life and what's going on with him, but with good reason. But even then Lars still kind of backs off and still doesn't really have an interest in that until one day he knocks on the door and he says, I'd like to know if I can bring my girlfriend over. And they, of course, welcome, welcome it. You know, because, yes, come on, bring her. And when he does, we realize that his girlfriend, Bianca, is a, just a, a, a life-size doll. And I mean, you could say it's a, a sex doll or the real dolls or whatever they are. But it's not necessarily that. It's not really indicated like that's exactly what this is. But I think we don't go down that road. We just see Lars with Bianca as a companion. Uh, Almost as a stand-in for someone he wishes were a part of his life. And, you know, that's fine when it's in his own in his home, in his, you know, behind closed doors. That's kind of what he finds happiness in. It's only when he starts to take her out into the real world. You know, that's where the tension comes in, at least for the viewer, because we assume, oh, this is going to be a problem. This is going to be bad. This is going to be embarrassing. This is going to be a real issue for him and for everybody in the world around him. And um, 
the surprising thing of this story, the film, the way it's told is that the doctor that he first takes her to, the neighbors, the friends, the coworkers, they all, first, they're all kind of prepared beforehand, but even in the moment, they're accepting and they go with it. They, they just kind of go with the flow. And it comes down to really, it comes down to a really powerful scene, I think, that kind of spells out a lot of what's going on with Lars. Because a lot of the story, a lot, for most of the film, we're not really sure what is going on with him. And, you know, the brother, the, the some of the coworkers and, and the doctor, they try to kind of poke and, and try to guess what he's really going through and why he's suddenly latched onto this real doll. And uh, some of it might be, oh, well, he's, oh, of course, he's just obviously insane. And maybe he's got some kind of other mental issues. Uh, maybe he's using this as a way, you know, they're, they're trying to kind of figure it out. And the brother, Gus, eventually re he reveals that he left home because he's the older brother. So he left home and left Lars with their father, who was not a great parent. And he recognizes that he shouldn't have done that. He left home for selfish reasons. He wanted to get away from it all. But he left his little brother behind. And he left his little brother to suffer and struggle with whatever was going on at home. And you could argue, well, that's probably a big source of trauma and uh, a lot of issues that went unresolved or, or even just not even understood. And so this is how Lars has kind of retreated into himself and found it very hard to connect or to have relationships with other people. And so as that all kind of happens and plays out, you know, it comes down to a scene where Lars really expresses that nobody cares about him. And Bianca is the only person that cares about him. And how do we know that? Only because he decides it, right? Bianca can't talk. We never, there's never any moment where Bianca moves or says anything. You know, it doesn't go to that territory. It really is just a life-size doll. And so when they tell Lars, and I think it's Karen, the sister-in-law, tells him, everybody here cares about you. Everybody here is concerned. Everybody here worries about you. They want to know what's going on with you. And when you bring Bianca around, they go along with it. They play along because they know to do otherwise would destroy you. And they don't want that. Nobody's interested in that. And that's a real, you know, that's a real different turn for this kind of a story than I think most people would expect. You would expect there's somebody here that's going to pop this balloon at any moment. And in some ways that, that, that creates a tension that is not in the scene, that is not in the film, but it's in the view, it's in your mind. Like, oh, this could go bad at any second. Somebody's going to say the wrong thing. 
And it, it kind of gets close, you know, it kind of steps close to that line, but it never gets there. Because that's not the film that we're watching. We're watching a film about a man who is trying to trying to work through his own issues and people around him that do care about him and that do want to see him overcome these things. And so they go with it. And by the end of the film, we get a resolution. Lars does find, uh, he does see things differently at some point. Things start to change. Uh, his, his viewpoint on people and relationships starts to grow. It starts to blossom a little bit. And he eventually realizes that in his own way, he realizes that, uh, Bianca is not really who he needs in his life. And so, uh, it's, it's just interesting to watch this arc it just seems like this is a person that for most of society, for most people, like in the real world, they would just write this guy off. Like this guy's a lost cause. I don't, we don't know what's wrong with him. He's weird. He's kind of, you know, he, he's real shifty sometimes. He doesn't, you know, he just doesn't seem to want to connect or get along with anybody. So just cast him aside. And I think that's really the power of this film is like, um, understanding and compassion and 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 some sense of acceptance you know it it's not really a comedy in in the sense like nothing's played for laughs it doesn't poke fun at someone like Lars and this life that they've tried to fashion for themselves it's very earnest and sincere and there's actually uh, there are moments where it's actually very sweet. It's it's a very sweet portrait of a man who's who just needs love and companionship and and trying to make it trying to make those things into an adult life. You know, there's an interesting scene where him and his brother they're talking, and he says to his older brother, he says, "How do you know when you're a man?" And I just thought that was a really interesting question because I feel like, and, and the scene even plays out further and Gus tries to kind of work through an answer because I feel like maybe he doesn't even really know how to answer that. You know, and Lars says, well, okay, I, I, I guess it's sex, right? That's how you know you're a man. And Gus says, in a way, yes, but not really. It's more than that. And in my mind, as I'm watching the film, I'm thinking the same thing. Like, how would you answer this? And eventually, I, I have the same response that Gus eventually comes to, which is, you know you're a man, or in a broader sense, you know you're an adult. When you are able to take on responsibility of other people, when you're able to not only provide or share your life with others, but you you willingly sacrifice so that others can have over yourself. And I, that's kind of generally what the answer is. Um, in my mind, it's a very similar thing. 
And so I thought that was a really interesting way to address for Lars and for the audience. What are we trying to get to here? Like if there's a point to life and there's a point to being an adult and to growing, what is that point? And so that was a really interesting way to frame it and to depict someone thinking through that and trying to figure out the answer almost in real time. So there's a lot of great little uh, touching and in poignant moments like that that are deep. They, they, they have some insights into what it means to be an adult, what it means to have a quote-unquote normal life, what it means to love, all those kinds of things. So it was a really great film to me. Um, I, I got to say, Ryan Gosling in this role, he is going for it. He's, he's taking big swings. I mean, there's a lot in this film that I think if it were today, Ryan Gosling in this film... I don't know that it would go this way because there's some stuff that's potentially, you know, outside of context of this film, potentially very embarrassing. Some of the things that he does and yet it's total commitment to this story and this character though. It's like I lose Ryan Gosling after about 10 minutes and I see Lars, you know, he's a little bit, he's a little bit overweight. He's a little bit unkempt. He's, he's just not quite the actor that we recognize, he becomes this uh, almost meek young man that doesn't have it all put together. And so I, I think that was a really interesting performance. And I'm sure that's part of why he is doing the kinds of films that he does is because you take chances. We're trying to tell an interesting story. You got to take chances sometimes. And so... This is a big recommendation for me. I, I really liked it. I think it works. All right. Um, let's get to the next one here. I want to talk about um, Film Streak 197, Robot and Frank. Can I help you find anything? Where is the librarian? Hey, Frank. Hey there. What'll it be? The usual? I'd be more interested in getting your phone number call from Madison Wells. Maddie, my girl. Hi. Has Hunter been coming around? Dad, you're right in the middle of the road. Look at this place. This is gross. You have a problem. I brought you something. Hi, Frank. You have got to be kidding me. That thing is going to murder me in my sleep. Somebody's going to murder you in your sleep. Frank, you need a project. Today, we're going to start a garden. I'm not gardening. My program's goal is to improve your health. I would rather die eating cheeseburgers than live off steamed cauliflower. This is Jake Finn. He's been filling me in on the plans for the new library. It's so his project. you must remember the days when this library was the only way to learn about the world. Sounds like the same people who stopped coming here want to take away what's yours. They're going to have this fundraiser party thing on Friday, and all the young hoity-toity couples are going to come. Sounds awful. Yeah. Do you want to come with me? Yes. Cool. There they are. Frank, you're so square, you're practically avant-garde. What the hell did you just say to me? <laughs> Look at all the jewels. These people are loaded. You know what stealing is? I don't have any thoughts on that. I know exactly who the first mark is going to be. Okay, let's see what you can do. According to your file, you were first arrested for possessing stolen goods. I specialized in jewelry. That was your best time yet. I'm getting the hang of it. We're going to clean up. 
I'm glad to see you so enthusiastic. I haven't felt this good in years. Hello? Frank, it's me. What's going on in there? Frank Weld is a suspect in a multi-million dollar robbery up the road. What? I'm kind of in a bit of trouble. Of course you are. We gotta get rid of all the evidence. Frank, my memory can be used against you. Don't you touch that robot, Frank! Get in. Frank! Frank! You're starting to grow on me. Thank you, Frank. It's time for your enema. I've led a very uh, colorful life. I need him. What do you need him for? He's my friend. Okay, so this is a film from 2012. It's directed by Jake Schreier. Uh, stars Frank Langella, Susan Sarandon. Uh, who else is in this? Uh, James Marsden, uh, Liv Tyler. A lot of familiar faces. So in this, Frank Langella, he plays a character named Frank. And he's an older man. He's living on his own. He's maybe not in the best of health. And a big part of the story is the sense that the world's kind of leaving him behind. Whether it's through technology or just people's ways of thinking, uh, it, it just there's a sense that he's disconnected from the world. So he lives in this home out in like the woods somewhere, and it's an it's it's a nice home, but he's clearly not the best at keeping things you know organized and keeping things uh, up to date and clean and all that. It's just kind of got stacks of books and stuff everywhere, and you know his son. Uh, Hunter, played by James Marsden, he comes by and he he sees that, oh, this is an issue. And maybe there's a problem here, like health wise or, or like maybe he's having some mental uh, breakdown issues where he's not remembering things and he's not uh, entirely clear headed anymore. So he sees like there's there's going to be a problem here. So he brings this robot uh, uh, assistant to help with just day-to-day things, keeping the house up, making meals, basic care. And of course, this is not a robot that really exists, but it's presented as that. It's like, this is the world that we're in, either very near future where these kinds of things are possible. And, um, you know, we see Frank go through a little bit of routine of he goes to this library every so often, he checks out books, he talks to the librarian, and it's mentioned that, oh, the library is going away. They're going to shut it down. They're going to digitize all the books. And they're going to turn this into some other kind of cultural center. Which, ironically, it's like that's what a library would have been in the past. A place to get knowledge. A place to see other people. A place to learn and to expand yourself beyond whatever small town or whatever place you live in. Right? But the world has changed. And so this place is going away. And then we see Frank go to this small gift shop where like, he sees trinkets and he sees things that are just curious to him. And he almost, almost habitually just takes things. You know, we see the shopkeeper say, hey, you know, if I catch you shoplifting again, we're going to have trouble. Uh, and he kind of sneaks out with a little, you know, a little figurine or whatever. 
And we think, oh, well, maybe he's not clear on what he's doing. He's not entirely lucid. And so a lot of the film plays that way, where we're not really sure what is going on with Frank's state of mind. Is he there? Is he not there? Is he remembering stuff? Is he forgetting stuff? And as this robot comes into the picture, he's very resistant of it. Of course, he's like, I don't need this help. I don't want this. This is a just an intrusion. But when the robot actually helps him steal one of these little figurines, assuming that, oh, he put it down and he forgot that he left it there. So the robot picks it up and brings it along, brings it home. Something clicks in Frank's mind. He's like, wait, wait, wait. You brought this home? You Do you know what stealing is? And the robot kind of doesn't have the understanding that people do about what theft is and what stealing means. And so now Frank, suddenly it's like that unlocked a door and Frank says, oh, okay, this robot can help me steal things. And he starts to reveal in his past, when he was younger, he was a jewel thief. He was a cat burglar. And he was, this is what he did. And this is why he lives alone because his parents, uh, his, his kids, his wife, they've kind of moved away from him. Whether he went to jail or, or just the, that life of crime was not for them, they kind of pushed him away. And that's why he lives on his own. And so it's a very interesting story of um, what happens when someone becomes isolated and they don't really know, they don't know how to keep up with the world. And yet, you know, the kids, they're still trying to stay in the picture, but it's more out of concern over his health than any actual like uh, child parent relationship thing. And so as Frank, steals something from the library that's shutting down. He gets the the nerve to go bigger. He wants to take a a bigger score. So he goes for his neighbors who are these young uh, yuppie couple that have lots of jewelry and lots of interesting, you know, expensive things in their house. He takes a score there and now he's got law enforcement. They're interested in him again. And he says, Oh, they bother me all the time, but then they start coming around again because they suspect he's a part of these new crimes that are happening. And, uh, you know, as we start to see like, oh, wait, the librarian knows more about him than she should. There's this really interesting scene towards the end of the film. I don't really want to give it away, but it starts to explain a lot of the situation that Frank has found himself in. And, you know, the the one thing that I, I wasn't really expecting to be that big of a deal, at least in, on the surface, at least um, at a glance, is the relationship with the robot. Like, I thought he would always be resistant to the robot and just kind of constantly be pushing it away. Uh, it, it turns into an actual, like a, a real relationship. He starts to talk to the robot. He starts to be more clear-headed because he can focus on, oh, how are we going to take this score? Let me work on a plan. Let me figure out what we're going to need. Let me figure out what time, what day, all these kinds of things. It gets his mind going again. Now, of course, it's for crime, but it, it almost wakes him up in a way. And because of that, he forms a real attachment with the robot. 
And when the robot is shut down or taken away or whatever, uh, we start to see him almost kind of regress. And I don't know. I, you know, it's a fictional story. Sure. But there is something to that. I think maybe not with robots. There are things in life that are around us that we may not really know what they are, but we attach to them and we, we respond to them. And so I thought this film really did an interesting thing by showing that, by showing like you can be in a, in a declining health or declining state of mind and still react and still have a, a, a spark of life in you. But maybe it just takes the right thing to, to bring that out. So in that regard, I, I feel like this was an interesting way of getting to that. You know, it's a little bit of science fiction, just little touches here and there. But it really is more about a man who is, um, who, like I said, is struggling with the world leaving him behind. That's really the way I kind of summarize it. And so it's a recommendation for me. You know, it's a very quiet film. It's more of a, of a character study in a way. So I recommend it. I liked it. It was a little hard to find. Um, I know it's been on some streaming services and whatever uh, in the past. At the at this point that I'm recording it, I was only able to see it on, um, I think it's like Pluto, Pluto TV, the, you know, whatever the free streaming service is. Uh, you may be able to find it in other places, but uh, check that one out if you have a chance. All right, so let's get to our next one here. This is an interesting one. This is Film Streak 198, After Yang. Come on, Yang. What are you doing? Come, come on. What happened to Yang? I don't know. He shut down last night. He won't restart. Has this happened before? No. If we can't get Yang fixed... Buy another sibling for Mika. It is an interior core problem. I need your permission to break open the core. We've always known that some bots are equipped with spyware. You might not want this bot in your house anymore. I wish I had a real memory.
right. So this is a film from 2021, very recent. And it's directed by a director named Kogonada. Um, never heard of him before, but I, after seeing this film, I'm really interested to see what other stuff he's done. Uh, it's based on a short story by Alexander Weinstein. And uh, it stars Colin Farrell, Jody Turner-Smith, uh, Justin H. Min plays Yang. And let me get just quickly into the premise. Um, you know, the film is it starts with a family. It's Colin Farrell, Jody Turner-Smith. They're Jake and Kira. And they have a daughter. And they also have, as part of their family, Yang. And we learn very quickly that Yang is, is I, just a bot, an, uh, an android. Um, they call him in the film Techno Sapiens. So I think the 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 idea is that these aren't just androids in the traditional sense that we might know. Maybe they're more akin to like replicants. You know, they're very lifelike. They're very human-like to the point where it's said a few times when Yang starts to have trouble and he basically shuts down. They try to figure out what they should do. What do they get him serviced, repaired, whatever? And they have to do it within certain times because he will start to decompose. And so that's where it, it really crosses a, a line into some other type of technology we're talking about here. You know, we're not talking about like Commander Data. We're not talking about you know Terminator type androids. We're talking about very advanced, nearly human technology here. So uh, the premise, yeah, is that Yang mysteriously kind of goes silent and just stops working. So Jake has to kind of figure out what we what do we do, <laughs> you know, even down to the the more mundane stuff of like, well, um, we didn't buy him new, so the warranty is not good, um, but we did buy him refurbished, so we'll have to take him back to that place instead of the manufacturer, you know, uh, all the kind of simple like annoying things that we deal with today you know all, all that stuff it's in here and it's it's kind of uh it's kind of an amusing little poke at not just how advanced technology has become but how frustrating it can be to just service and fix technology when it doesn't work as jake is trying to figure out what exactly happened to him you know, he sees different people that can tell him like, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. What you need to do, though, is review uh, some hidden or, or buried memories that are part of his uh, core or his you know internal system. We found some stuff in here. We're not sure what it is. You need to go look at this because this could be it could be a problem, uh, some kind of a, a privacy issue. You know, because he records everything and he's in your home every day, all day around you and your family. You need to see what this is because it could be something very uh, nefarious or, or whatever. And so it's it's it starts to kind of tip that way. But then as Jake comes home, he looks at all the footage, looks at all the memories. And I and I got to say. This film really does an interesting thing there. It's a real novel approach to how do we look at memories from a 
piece of technology. And it's not like today uh, where you have files on a computer and you go through folders and documents and whatever and you play them or view them or, or read them or whatever. No, this is very different. And it's it's actually very visually interesting, but it's also just metaphorically kind of uh, uh, inventive too. You know, Jake puts on these glasses and basically like a maybe augmented reality glasses or virtual reality. And it's presented as like almost you're out in the middle of nature, in the middle of the night. And you look up at the sky, you see trees, and you see stars. And those stars, uh, they form, there's almost a pattern to them. And you can start to like move through them. And as you move through them, you realize, oh, these are actually memories. It's it's uh, stored memories um, in rows and columns. And, I, you know, the thing that I thought is like this way of visualizing how stars in the sky can represent memories in someone's mind or in someone's life. There's like an infiniteness to that. And that, that rings true to me is like, yeah, our memories can be infinite. I mean, we can remember as much as we can remember as much as we want, or we can remember as little as we want. There's no set parameters to how much, each person remembers out of their entire life experience. And some memories are easy to get to. They're right in front of us. Some memories are very hard to get to. They're way off in the distance. And I just thought it was an interesting visual metaphor to, to show moving through memories and moving through time as moving through space. And amongst the stars. So as Jake is doing this and he's discovering more about Yang and his memories and what he's been through, it starts to uncover that, oh, there was a whole previous family that Yang was a part of before Jake and his family. And even the way that he replays the memories you know, some of them are present like Yang's direct point of view is shown through one is shown through different aspect ratios. So we can clearly see when we're looking through Yang's eyes at something that happened in the past. And sometimes it's just like three or four seconds. And then we move, we cut to another memory and then cut to another memory. And we start to piece together like little short, like timelines or sequences but this also, it, it also kind of drives up the recollection for Jake and for Kira even of the moments they had with Yang. We see the memories, the scenes, the, the interactions, we see them play out from different perspectives. And it's, it's kind of hard to explain. You just have to watch it. And at first it's a little confusing because I feel like what something's wrong with the editing because we're cutting two different or multiple takes, we're cutting them together on top of each other. Uh, it's really weird when you see two people talking in a scene and 
you hear the dialogue two or three times. And then you see the camera angles are changing from one perspective to the other. You almost have to see it. Um, But I think what it's representing is that memories don't just happen from your perspective. If there's somebody else there, there's also their perspective. And how is it different? Even hearing the same words a different way. It's really using the the power of film and, and filmmaking to illustrate that in a in a really in a really elegant way, I think. So, uh, as Jake is doing this, as he's kind of going through memories, he's discovering there's more to Yang than they ever thought. It does it does change some of his perspective on like what is he doing as a parent, what is he doing for his family, and what is Yang? What role has he been playing in this? Yeah, there's never anything sinister or um, you know, anything dark uh, about Yang or his purpose. It's it's really it becomes like this is just an unfortunate, almost a tragedy that they've lost him, and it's like losing a member of the family. And so it's really played on those terms. They all have their own way of trying to process like what is happening? Why does Yang, why did he stop working? And what did he do before we met him? And just trying to understand that and come to terms with that. And so, you know, the, the thing I'll say about this film, like all the story, all this premise is really interesting. It's, it's kind of a different way to take on this idea of like a synthetic being or androids and how real are they and how much do we emotionally connect to them? All that stuff is great. But the thing about this film is that uh, out of all the films I'm going to talk about in this episode, this is probably the one that is the most, um, the most fully realized vision on screen because this takes place in a world maybe a little further in the future than any of the others that we're talking about but it's completely real it's it's completely there you know there's a lot of uh there's a lot of texture there's a lot of uh, uh, like an organic aesthetic to the to the film to the sets to the clothes to everything that's on screen and that's one thing to just you know make the backdrop look right but even the performances you know everything is dialed down just a touch you know i I can't remember there ever i mean other than the little girl who understandably a child can't quite doesn't have a handle on emotions and everything's quite yet there's no raised voices. There's not even really any loud noises. There's a real gentle touch to the film. And the fact that pretty much in every scene, maybe even in every shot, really, there's some sort of plant life or some sort of organic life to everything that we're seeing. It's a little bit of a... It's not like a utopian vision of the world, but it is a world that's different from ours in the sense that it's gone in a new direction. 
in a direction that maybe embraces nature more. There's plant life everywhere. There's natural objects, natural textures, natural materials used all throughout. And it just gives you a different sense of things. It, it almost, in a way, feels foreign to what we know is the real world. And I, and I think it's idealizing this thing that mankind has moved away from purely synthetic creation, has moved towards a more naturalistic and organic type of world, even to the point where the, the synthetic beings, the yangs, feel entirely real. And it really blurs a line. And it does it in a really mesmerizing way, you know? I, I even think about it, like, it's it's also very still. Like, I don't think there's a single, like, moving camera shot in the whole film. And, that, and, and not in a bad way. I mean, it's done intentionally. It's done very cleverly. Even the moments when we're looking through Yang's point of view... The camera, it is moving very slightly, but so slightly. Just enough to you know that you're looking through someone's eyes, not a camera on sticks, on tripod. And so all of that adds up to a really unique experience, I think. And it's one that I don't really see much in science fiction. Uh, and certainly not science fiction about like, you know, androids and and robots and so on. And so I definitely recommend this. Check it out for sure. Um, everybody in this is great. All the work, it, it looks great. It, it feels great. So let's get to our last one here. This is going to be, um, wow, can you believe it? Film Streak 199. 199 films. Coming up on 200, huh? Film Streak 199, Jexy. beautiful baby. Hello, my name is Jexy. I will need the passwords to all of your accounts. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stupid. Huh? How can I help you? Let's get dinner. You look like you could use a salad bill. What the fuck kind of phone is this? Would you like to watch some pornography now? Oh, no. Why would you even ask me that? Because you watch pornography every night. What? Oh, no. Oh, you're okay. I'm okay, too. Thanks. Oh, I'm sorry. You're okay? I'm fine, but more importantly, how's your phone? It's got a little bit of a scratch that will definitely annoy me. You're joking. Okay. You guys are supposed to write lists that break the internet every day. We have not gone viral since yesterday. Prison lips. What do you got? Cats that look like Ryan Gosling. I likey. I likey like. Your boss is a fucking moron. What is wrong with your phone, dude? Play me out. <laughs> 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 You have zero friends. Take a chance and try something new. You're really into your phone, aren't you? I used to be that way, too. You want to play kickball later? Let me check my calendar. Your only plan is to go home alone, furiously masturbate, nope. and then cry yourself to sleep. Dude, your phone is super mean. Phil, this woman is so much hotter than you are. The odds of you having sex with her is zero. Hey, you ready to go? Yeah. Would you mind not bringing your phone? Who this bitch? 
You promised you'd be home by 11 to watch Cupcake Wars with me. I have needs too. Phil, now plug me, Dan. Okay. Unplug me. Plug. Unplug. Plug. Look right at my camera hole. Oh my god. That actually wasn't the worst sex I've ever had. I need a new phone. This one's defective. I see hipster dudes like you come in here every day. Like little crackheads. I suck your dick for a new phone. You can buy a thousand new phones and I will follow you on to every single one of them. We are going to be together forever. Oh my God, I am fucked. Wake up, bitch! Are you laughing at my dick right now? Yes. What does this bitch have that I don't have? A soul for one. Does she have Google Maps? No. She fucking sucks. I'm gonna chime in here real quick. Not now! I control your email and bank accounts. No one puts baby in a corner. Why are you doing this to me? I am programmed to make your life better. She's trying to kill me! I am the captain now. Your phone sent pictures of your dick to everyone. Why are you doing a thumbs up in a fucking dick pic? All right. So this is a film that's pretty recent, actually. Uh, It's from 2019, written and directed by John Lucas, and uh, stars Adam Devine, Alexandra Shipp, Rose Byrne. uh, Who else? Michael Pena's in this. Um, This is a a pretty much a straight, flat-out comedy. You know, if this film would have been made 10 years earlier, maybe it would have probably been like in that Judd Apatow, you know, phase, that wave of R-rated comedies is very much in line with those. But it does have a lot more to say about technology and how we kind of over rely on technology. And here we have our main character here is Phil. We see him as a kid growing up with like, you know, not even smartphones, um, but just the old fashioned flip phones or whatever, where you play snake on them. You know, we see him playing with a game boy and then we cut to present day where he's on his smartphone. You know, he's kind of living his life, but he's living a life that is not real. You know, he's taking pictures of sunsets and then like filtering them and dressing them up. And it's like, look at me, check it out, living my best life. It's all bullshit. We know it is. Right, We all know as people moving in today's world, there's a lot of stuff that's not real on the internet. And so here, we kind of see underneath that. We see the sad guy who just doesn't do anything with his life and can't even really have relationships, like just is not good at it. And so one day we see he bumps into this girl at a bike shop, whatever. Uh, He drops the phone, more concerned about the phone than the girl. And then, you know, ends up having to get his phone fixed or get it replaced. Gets a new phone. On this new phone is Jaxi, this new virtual assistant, whatever. And uh, this time, Jaxi is very different than what we know. You know, Roseburn here really goes for it also because she's the voice of Jaxi and it's it's done in a way where it feels you know the the voice and all that has the affectations of an artificial assistant thing but the dialogue the writing here is so like it cuts deep she doesn't play and she tells him straight like you're a loser and you need to get your life together and my job is to help you do that and so it becomes a little bit of a um, 
a raunchy kind of crude R-rated comedy as we see him get into all these weird situations and Jexy is saying things out loud that you know nobody wants their phone saying, um, doing things uh, that nobody wants their phone to be doing. And so it puts him in a lot of embarrassing situations or awkward situations. And then it puts it on him to get himself out of those situations. He's having to learn to confront life head on all because of this phone. And so in a way I see it, we're getting to the, the ultimate point is like, you just got to get this guy to grow up and get his face off of a phone. And so in a way this, this kind of works, you know, there are moments where it's really silly and it's got some laugh out loud moments, but um, it's also got a little bit of meaning to it because we, we get introduced to um, Kate and we see that, oh, she used to be like this too. And she kind of saw the error of those ways and put her phone down, started to look out towards the world and changed her life. And so now we're watching Phil kind of go through the same thing, uh, albeit a lot more haphazardly, but it's happening. And even when Jexy starts to kind of edge in on that. It was like, Hey, this girl's not good for you. You, I'm the only one for you. You know, it kind of plays into a little bit of like the jealous girlfriend trope, but, um, it's all for, it's all for laughs. I mean, the idea is that this thing isn't really turning sinister. Like Jexy's not going to kill anybody, but she's definitely going to make life hard for everybody. That's not Phil. And it's up to Phil to draw that boundary, to cut that cord like entirely and be able to focus on his life and focus on people like Kate and, and people around him, his friends, coworkers, all that. And so, yeah, it's, it's more of an amusing detour, but it is about like an extreme example of how you can lose yourself in what you think is a real life, but maybe it isn't. Maybe you could do better. And maybe the people around you should be a part of it. And I think for any anybody listening to this, anybody living in today's world, um, that's very likely a part of what you deal with, if not every day, at least some days. Like, oh, I, yeah, I have been spending too much time with my phone today. <laughs> maybe I should talk to my family. Maybe I should go see my friends. Maybe I should do some work. You know, it happens. And this isn't, this film isn't necessarily trying to judge that, but it is trying to point it out and say, okay, look at what you're doing and look at what you could be missing or look at what else is around the corner. Eyes up, you know? So, um, I think this is good for some laughs. You know, it's got some interesting commentary in it. Some things it's trying to say. It's good for a, a fun night and to maybe help you reflect a little bit on what, where are you at? What are you doing? Where's your phone at right now? You know what I'm saying? So that's Jexy. That's, um, that's a recommendation if you're in for just a flat out comedy. And maybe you know somebody who's got a phone problem. And maybe this could help them kind of push through that a little bit, you know? Okay, that is this episode of Film Streak. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for checking this out and sticking along for the ride. 
I mean, that was 199 films. And uh, 200's coming up. And 200, I already know what it is. Uh, I just feel like it's going to be a film that I've been wanting to see for a long time. And I understand, I've been told that it is a particularly great film. So I'm going to watch it. In the meantime, go to filmstreak.com. You can subscribe there. You can listen to whatever else is there. Uh, if you sign up for the email updates for each episode, there's also a link to a list on IMDb. It has every single film that I've talked about. All 199 films are on that list. You can add them to your watch list or whatever. You can rate them. Have you seen them? Like, yeah, I didn't like this guy's wrong. I liked, you know, Megan. It's the best movie I've ever seen. Okay, whatever. Go ahead. Do it. Give it a 10. I don't care. <laughs> the other thing is, if you haven't seen some of these films, maybe you want to check them out for yourself. Uh, IMDb, uh, it, it will show you if they're available either on streaming like Netflix, HBO Max, whatever. Uh, it may show you if they're available to buy somewhere or you know, if they're still out in theaters, you can even just buy tickets from there. So it's all like, hey, just go here. You see what I'm talking about. And then you make your decision and see if you can find a way to watch it yourself. See what you think. So anyway, uh, do that and um, stay safe, stay dry, stay warm because it's winter right now. And uh, I'm going to go watch some more new movies. 